facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be without fear in the face of your enemies. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth always, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless and do no wrong. That is your oath. Welcome to the Kale Clark Show. It's Brooke Taylor. Hello. Happy to be back with you in for Kale today. Kicking it off medieval style. Do you recognize that clip? It's from a scene in the movie Kingdom of Heaven, and that's Liam Neeson who plays Godfrey knighting Orlando Bloom's character before he died. And I want to actually read the words he says because I think they bear repeating. It's the knight's oath, and he says, be without fear in the face of your enemies. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth always, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the help and do no wrong. That is your oath. And that is the 12th century setting during the Crusades. And the enemy was clear then. The stakes were known. The stage was set. The perimeter was drawn. But today, the battlefield is not on foreign soil. It is right here in our doorstep. Solzhenitsyn says it writes, runs right through the heart of man. And really, we could say that's how it's been since the fall, since the garden. We fight an ancient enemy. And the ancient weapons are the best. And spiritual warfare is real. And if you put on your soldier of Christ, armor of God, uniform, we see it all around. Families under attack, of course, our culture, the blurry lines of what is family, what is a man and woman, even hearing in the previous hour, the yoke of addiction And the truth is being dismembered and misshapen, and we fight an ancient enemy. So today's theme is all about deploying and using the ancient tactics. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And that's the reason that I referenced the Knight's Oath, because it ties in to this critical call to awaken from spiritual slumber, to be trained for the mission, to exercise heroic virtue, moral courage. And that takes training. That takes a lot of practice. And thankfully, we have the man this hour for the job who wrote the manual. Pleased that he will be with us to explore the entire hour and take us through the pages, a bit of a boot camp here. I'm talking about Dr. Dan Schneider. He is adjunct professor of theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville, been involved in teaching evangelization of the Catholic Church for nearly 20 years. But wait, that's not all. So equipped for this mission, a former boxer, U.S. Army helicopter pilot, Gulf War veteran, and has also worked for many years in the Catholic Apostolate of Deliverance and Exorcism, and is part of a founding member of the Liber Christo movement, which stands for Freedom Through Christ. And the new book is the Liber Christo Method, a field manual for spiritual combat, currently available through TAN Books and delighted to welcome him to the program now. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Brooke. I appreciate you having me on the show. Yes. Well, and it's kind of funny because that old maxim of write what you know when it comes to combat and spiritual warfare really sounds like this is a discipline God has given you a special personal pedagogy in. Yeah, it's not really something that uh, I would volunteer to do. In fact, 
the, the main disqualifier for to be on a team, an exorcist team, is to volunteer to want to be in the to, to actually want to be there is probably a disqualifier. So it's kind of like the old military uh, when they say, "All right, anybody wants to volunteer, please step forward," and everybody takes one step backwards, and you're standing there out in front as the volunteer. That's kind of how it fell into my lap. But Our Lady has a sense of humor and uh, has basically repurposed me both uh, as a scholar, but also as a former military officer, as a, as a fighter. So it just kind of worked out. This is where I'm at right now in the apostolate. And so who am I to say no? Uh, I said yes to Our Lady many, many years ago, and this is where we're at. You know what, too, Dan? It makes me think of even that new film, Sound of Freedom, and just the whole story behind it. Of course, it's a difficult, you think of those who are called to this, they need our prayers because that's such a difficult mission, but yet it's so vital and the work that you're doing to liberate souls and to assist in that. Even going back to Frodo, because when you look at Tolkien's work, it's the humility. He didn't feel equipped, which made him precisely the man for the job. And so I know this is what you do. We're going to dig into the pages, the methodology, the importance, but Tell us, I guess, just the, the terms. What is the Liber Christo method, first and foremost? Well it's, kind of, well, it's kind of a vague Latin phrase that could mean freedom in Christ, uh, the free man in Christ, um, finding our liberation in, through, and by Jesus Christ. It's a vague term, um, but, but basically it's a, it's a program um, started uh, in conjunction with Father Chad Ripperger to, to manage cases, um, to put into practice the a lot of the teachings that Father Ripperger is doing, um, uh, how to determine causality, whether psychological or, or spiritual, you know, is this diabolic, is this just psychological? It's a four-phase developed. This is phase two of the four-phase program of Father Ripperger, but it's also, I also wrote it with the average Catholic in mind. So it is just a specific manual for teams working cases. Those teams are working these cases using this as the protocol or the phase two catechetical portion, but it's also designed for the average, um, any Catholic to read it. I was, I was getting ready to have breakfast with my, my local parish priest. He was cleaning up the altar, putting away everything. And I was just sitting here watching him alone, this lone soldier out in the battlefield. And I thought, that's who I need to write this for. I need to be a, a resource for the parish priest that could, that could be used at the parish level, that anybody that's struggling. So you don't have to be afflicted to, to benefit. This is basically a deep dive, um, catechetical lesson and also general confession basically where do you where are areas of my life are, are there deficiencies in my spiritual life very practically speaking and how can i how can i uh, work on these areas to grow in holiness ultimately yeah and i love how you explain the approach i think that's key because you use a protocol that we can all connect with and that is the way we understand and treat kind of sickness of the body can be applied so if something is wrong we go to a doctor they run some tests they collect that data and then we work together they you know work with the patient ostensibly to create a treatment plan and sometimes we might need to see a specialist other times we just get a prescription we're on our way and then we're done with that treatment plan and do what's necessary, hopefully, to stay well. And so in a spiritual sense, there's a lot of parallels, it sounds like, of the people involved and the methodology behind the process of diagnosing is something demonic going on in someone's life or, you know, and what is it and how to approach it. Right, right. So so we, we try to, to buy a little uh, objectivity. Uh, the, the medical principle is do no harm. Um, 
And so oftentimes we've worked, I've worked in many other models before um, really helping develop this with Father Ripperker and his right-hand assistant, longtime assistant, um, is, is that it helps to determine how much of this is psychological, how much is, is actually diabolic. People would, you know, I remember working in other models and, and they show up to the church, they say they hear the devil, and suddenly you're praying for them for days and weeks and months only to find out, yeah, this is, um, this is psychological, you know? And, and uh, you know, usually the people that show up at the diocese and say, I demand to see an exorcist, um, usually don't. Usually it's psychological. The, 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 last place the, exorcist, the, the last place the demon wants to be is in front of the diocesan exorcist. When I was in Iraq, the last place a, a Russian Iraqi T-62 tank wanted to be is in front of a, a, an AH-1 Cobra or AH-64 Apache these aircraft are designed to kill tanks. This is what we train to do. So the enemy does not want to come out and, and, and demand to see the exorcist as a general rule. Usually when it's a case of possession, it's like, you know, Father, I got this. But man, this just seems a little strange. And I don't know, maybe I got this experience or that experience. Maybe there's something there. So, so this helps to address the psychological um, and areas of psychological trauma as well. How do, how do we deal with those? Because those, these are also areas where the enemy can be hiding under. So number one, we try to determine causality. And two, we help, we try to help people understand these are the areas of vulnerability. You know, the T-62 tank, for example, the Russian T-62 tank that the Iraqis had, it had a big, uh, gas tank, uh, external fuel tank on the back which was the obvious target for, for an attack helicopter. So we always tried to try to, we tried to sight it or get behind it so we can find that clean target. But we knew that in physical combat well, in spiritual combat, the enemy sees our vulnerabilities as well. He knows them extremely well. And so this, this manual is really try to help um, teach people to identify obstacles to grace, identify areas of vulnerability, both morally, psychologically uh, and spiritually so that they can uh, ha- have a low profile on the battlefield, so to speak, and overcome the enemy. So again, it's the Liber Christo method, a field manual for spiritual combat. And you know, we see that in an overwhelming degree, the rise in mental health issues, mass shootings, gender dysphoria, divorces, drug abuse. What degree do you think we can assign responsibility to the demonic versus the psychological? I know there are some statistics and tracking of those that come in seeking help for demonic activity, but just in your observation and experience, can you even assign a percentage to that? I know there are certain indications that help identify, but what would you say to that? Yeah, I think um, the, um, the father wrote, Father Ripperker wrote the introduction and he mentioned the last time they did statistics and was in, I think, 2015, um, before they moved to the Archdiocese of Denver. And in that time, they had 600 inquiries um, of, that they determined legitimate uh, cases that, that they took on as cases. Right now they're getting, uh, that was in a year, and right now they're getting 800 inquiries a week uh, at, the, at, at the Society of a Merciful Mother. So we're seeing a huge uptake and in, uh, increase. But of the 600, what is shocking is only three were cases of actual possession. And usually with a case of actual possession, you need a mandated exorcist who's got the mandate from the bishop. That's usually the, the, the requirement. It's a deep, deep level uh, of affliction. But, but most cases can self-deliver just through returning to the Catholic faith, living fully, deeply the Roman Catholic faith, going to confession on a regular basis, developing virtue, etc. So, So this is the book is designed to help people both self-deliver and just to clean up areas of their lives. 
But going back to the psychological part of that is the psychological um, the component that is often ignored, or it's it's either we see two extremes: uh, everything is the devil, or nothing is the devil. It's only it's all psychological. But the reality is, it's the truth is right there in the middle. Wherever there's diabolic affliction, the demon is going to be there. Whatever there's a wounded human, the demon is going to be attracted to that. The demon is going to be drawn to that to tr- to try to exploit that. So so working on the human psychology is very important. Understanding those areas of trauma. And, and not trying to spiritual warfare, something, oftentimes they, they, people t- tend to think it's this, this mystical thing and you need this magic prayer or the secret novena. Really, it's, it's, it's what, what I call smash mouth Catholicism. It's just grinding it out, um, doing, you know, work of, 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 you know, typical prayer, the Benedictine pray and work or at labora. This is very critical. I quote Father Gabriel Amorth, um, early in the book, and, and he says that there's always a temptation for exorcists, sensitives, and charismatics to subvert the ordinary means uh, of sanctification and liberation and can un- unwittingly fall into the trap of magic or superstition. So we have to be very careful that, we're not, that we ignore, in, in a sense of urgency, the ordinary means. And what are those? The sacraments, first of all. Reconcil- in the, the definition of liberation and Catholic liberation is reconciliation with God the Father through Jesus Christ in the sacraments. So it's, it's bringing to bear the sacraments of the church and the authority of the church, but also prayer. So in the book, I teach people how to pray, basic prayers, order your life to prayer, and then mental prayer, uh, um, and then meditatio and lexio divina. This is very critical. And the third one that's ignored today and that is a sacrificial theology, a prayer, uh, a learning how to, what is redemptive suffering? Um, this is something that the modern wor- world doesn't want to hear. But I can tell you, this is the coin of the realm in the diabolic, in the, in the cosmic battle, it's suffering. In fact, if you look at the rejection of the angels, and the angels, when they fell, the fallen angels who became demons, the essence of their fall is one of a rejection of suffering. Non-servium, said Lucifer. I will not serve a God that takes a form lower than me. So the essence of that fall is I will not serve a God in human form. I will not serve this mission. I will not serve this, these creatures that are created lower than me in the created order, and I will not suffer this. And so the essence of the diabolic is an inability to suffer, and therefore that gives us a clue in the essence of defeating the diabolic in our lives, and that's learning what is the value of vicarious suffering. And, and union, uh, uniting our suffering with the suffering of Christ. We ignore this. This is the hard part of the gospel. But John Paul wrote an encyclical on this, on redemptive suffering, centered around the verse of St. Paul, Colossians one twenty four. I rejoice in my suffering, for in my body I make up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ's body, which is the church. These are the plus P rounds on the battlefield. These, these are the, 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 the armor-penetrating uh, rockets uh, um, that, that can pierce armor or the tanks would have, our tanks have reactive armor that would explode on impact. And so we could not let anything penetrate. If you learn how to do this old thing, this ancient Catholic teaching that our mothers and our grandmothers taught us as kids, when we were cut from the basketball team or rejected by the cool girls in school or boyfriend broke up with you, what did they tell you? Offer it up. Yeah. Offer it up. This is a this is a key element of spiritual combat that nobody likes to talk about. But this is war fighting in our experience. This is an essential part of defeating the enemy. So teaching people how to use this, how to use our own suffering as a weapon. The ultimate weapon of suffering is the cross, right? In, in the cross, we find our victory. And so we share in our own suffering 
when we when we share our suffering with redemptive objective suffering of Christ, we participate in a very special and unique way as Christians in the distribution of graces of uh, that Christ acquired on Calvary. And when you're talking about Lucifer and the demons and non-servium, I will not serve. It really goes back to pride, and of course, the, the original sin, the garden, and and I want to get to that as well. The the vice and the opposing virtue and prayer, as you referenced, and specifically the graces of the sacraments and the sacramentals. So I want to get to that, but I love how you're referencing battle language, which is appropriate because. This is the, this is warfare, and I think the language of combat is needed to kind of understand the gravity of it, the terms. And so you go into this brilliant detail in I, the first chapter of the book of of Samuel and David and Goliath as this example of guerrilla warfare, and you bring it throughout the book. And can you just start there a little bit with an explanation of how that applies to us? Because it's a theme, again, that you weave through the manual and then also the weapons that we need. Right. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a scholar as well, you know. Uh, so my doctoral work was on Scripture and the early reception. How did the early church fathers sound this mystery of the, of the Gospels and, and the writings of St. Paul in the Old Testament? You see in the very first, the second century, Tertullian, Origen, Hippolytus of Rome, and then all the way up into Augustine, the first three or four centuries, they saw the cross in martial or combat terms. We hear this on Good Friday. You'll listen to this this Good Friday, next Good Friday, in the sequence. It's called the Pange Lingue, Sing My Tongue of the Victorious Battle, when Christ won our salvation on the tropion of the cross. The tropion is it was a spot on ancient battle where the, the where we get the word trophy, um, the Greek word the root of trophy, the turning spot where the enemy turned and broke ranks at that spot where the victory was won, even though there was some cleanup that needed to be done, and the enemy was taken down. But when the first guy breaks, when the battle turns, that spot, they put a mark. They put a, a Greek T, and they would hang the enemy's instruments of uh, what was the instrument of the enemy um, now became the instrument of our victory. And so the cross was a tropion. The cross was the, was the vexillum, uh, which was the standard, the battle standard. The, you know, I was in the cavalry. That was the cavalry banner, the first cap. This is how the early church fathers saw that. And we're, and we're being told today by a lot of people in the church, like, oh, not all this stuff on the military. That's too, that's too harsh, this military language. This is how the fathers of the church saw it. And so they even saw, Augustine himself said, that our David, meaning Jesus, on the cross, used the, the, the enemy's weapon against him and cut off his head, just like David did. So the foundation is, and David didn't use, he didn't have tank-on-tank battle. David used military or guerrilla tactics uh, to defeat him. He did. He tried on the armor, and the armor it said, "Walking, he grew tired. He didn't have enough. He, it wasn't used to these armaments. He didn't. He knew he had no chance in traditional battle. He had to go to guerrilla tactics. And so the five smooth stones, the the the, the staff, um, the different elements of of that. I I fleshed this out." with the biblical symbolism and show that this is how David defeated him symbolically or allegorically. This is, this is where the fathers use it. And I use that same allegory allegory and typology to explain what this means for Catholics today. 
It's so good. I love that. You're the five smooth stones, as you reference, into your ammo pouch and what those are. I want to try to break those down. There's so much to explore within these pages. But I also I want to take Matthew because we're up against a break. And I know that his heart is uh, for a friend who's dealing with a challenge. And Matthew's joining us from California. See if we can take him quickly. You are on with Dan. Matthew, are you there? Yes. Yes, I'm here. Uh, Dan, I wanted to uh, present to you a situation I'm currently engaged in. I have a friend whose son has recently been released from prison and um, has suffered a number of relapses in his addiction, and which have caused, uh, which just is causing so much grief. But uh, his repeated uh, backsliding, I guess, uh, into into this addictive uh, behavior, um, I I feel like there could be uh, certainly there is a demonic influence, but I feel almost from his just the father's description of the son that um, that he could be not just influenced but possessed. I want to introduce this to thought and possibility for consideration to the dad using your book. How's the best? How would be the best way since this person and family are from a Protestant tradition, not a Catholic? Yeah, this is, you know, look, I'm uber Catholic. So this is, this is, you want to fight, we're fighting an ancient enemy. The ancient weapons are best. So I would say give them the book anyway. You're not, you know, give them the book and have them go through it. We have a protocol uh, of of 30 day prayer regimen that we recommend in, in advance that we use for our cases, but it's also like a, it's similar to the Exodus 90. This is like a PX 90 for the soul. The demon responds to the imposition of order as much as to the prayers themselves. So the imposing order, and part of that order is the father in this case. He's got an adult son that's, that's struggling, but the father needs to engage. The whole family has to engage in this battle, and that, that's going to be part of it. I would say give him a copy and let him work through it and, 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 and see how, how he does. But, but they've got to understand the psychological elements as well. There's, there's no magic to this. So, so you've got to under the psychological component. It's like, it's like, you know, the, um, if you have, if you had an older brother or an older sister that picked on you as a younger, as a younger sibling, and they would hold you down and they would take your arm and they would make you hit yourself and say, Hey man, why do you keep punching yourself? Why do you keep punching yourself? Well, the demon does that, particularly with addictions. He doesn't really care what your addiction is, but he's going to, he's going to drive that disordered behavior because the psychological obsession can open and expose the soul to a spiritual oppression or even higher. I've seen this again and again in the field. So they've got to work on the psychology. They've got to get, they got to, that's why we work closely with, with good Catholic mental health professionals. So, so working on the psychological as well, working on those areas of trauma and, and learning how to integrate what I would say, integrating the trauma. And that's the redemptive learning, redemptive suffering, even the father offering his suffering up for his son um, this, this is, these are key elements. So I would say just go, have them just go through and work it. You know, this isn't, this isn't apologetics. This, you know, this is, this is, this is, we're dealing with a, with an ancient, ancient enemy that is unleashing very strong forces on the world today. We're living in a time as Father Ripperger describes diabolic disorientation. And, and a lot of these ancient enemies are resurfacing, including the transgender gods and others. And so, yeah, I would just encourage you that prayer, never underestimate the power of the of prayer of a father, right? When the first healing in Mark's gospel, they lowered down the paralytic, and, Je- and it says when Jesus saw their faith. So at some point, 
It's the faith of others and the prayers of others to move this person's will to remove the asking the Lord to remove the obstacles of grace because God offers actual graces. Actual graces are those those are good temptations, so to speak. These are the Reese's pieces that lead us like E.T. And so God gives these throughout our lives. And so but we have obstacles to blocking those. So whether you're Catholic or not. We all have these same obstacles of, of, of trauma, traumatic events, repeated mortal sins, repeated venial sins. So uncovering these things, this is basic Christianity. So I would encourage him just to take a look at it. He's got to be open. You know, here's the thing. I was just meeting with, with, with a case not long ago in another country, and, and they've been prayed over and prayed over and prayed over and prayed over. Nothing has worked. And I asked them two, three questions. Number one. What, what, what are you asking of the church? I want to be free. Number two, what are you willing to do for that liberation? I'm willing to do anything for my son, for my wife, myself. And number three, what is the definition of insanity? And they're like, what? Well, the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. So try it. Try and see, see what you can get by, by, by going medieval, if you will, going uh, guerrilla warfare on it. Fantastic. Thank you. God bless you, Matthew. Thank you for your call. And we just lift up all those who are in that situation, especially with addiction and just the um, the difficult pain, the trauma. But as you said, to be able to have the ability to kind of diagnose and then get in there with these precision weaponry, basically the prayers and all that the church has to offer is paramount. I want to take a break and we'll come back with more. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. Dr. Dan Schneider is my guest as we discuss the Libra Cristo Method, a field manual for spiritual combat. Libra Cristo stands for freedom in Christ, freedom through Christ. The phone lines are open. one 914 here on Relevant Radio and the app. If you have a question for Dan, he's with us for the hour. Back after the break here on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the app. Stay with us. Oblate. He has a particular zeal for sacred scripture and the Blessed Virgin Mary and is a former amateur boxer, U.S. Army helicopter pilot, Iraq war veteran, grateful for your service. Also husband, father, and the author of a brand new release from Tan Books. It's called The Lieber Christo Method, a field manual for spiritual combat. And that's what we've been exploring here on the Kale Clark Show. Welcome back to the program. My name is Brooke Taylor filling in for Kale today. And since we're covering spiritual combat, I want to touch on St. Michael, the St. Michael prayer deployed so frequently in addressing aspects of spiritual warfare. Dan, you have in your manual um, the St. Michael prayer, but I think also what many people may not know, there's another form of the prayer that you also include that's much longer. Uh, which, um, the St. Michael, the chaplet. Yeah. Yeah. The St. Michael chaplet that mentioned the St. Michael chaplet. Um, well, there's different. Pra- okay. So you're talking about some of the prayers I've embedded into the book. Yeah. 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 So you got to say Michael chaplet, but St. Michael is the commander of the, of the heavenly forces. And so, so St. Michael is, is there's, we have, we have our lady queen of battle. We have St. Michael and we, and those are two, two, uh, forces that we need to bring to battle with us. A lot of people don't, they, 
They, they, they don't invoke, invoke the Virgin Mary. They don't invoke St. Michael. And so at the end of each lesson, I broke it into 12 lessons. At the end of each lesson, there's, there is the, uh, there's different prayers, and there's various prayers of St. Michael as well invoking St. Michael. So you're going to see a lot, the sword of St. Michael, um, to, to, to doing like severing, uh, you know, uh, severing, air, severing spirits, uh, things that, that, uh, that are afflicting you. So, yeah, St. Michael and the sword of St. Michael are, are imagery used in spiritual combat quite often. And that's part of the, the field manual for spiritual combat. And there's so much to this. And even when we received the call earlier from Matthew and, and we were talking about the method of giving a book to someone who might not be Catholic and the prayers and the authority of a father. But even within that, Dan, with deliverance prayers, we have to be careful. I mean, what are some general ground rules as far as we know that a father has authority over his child, but those sorts of things do matter in the proper order. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I start, I used, I use Rogers rules for Rangers as kind of a, a baseline because the, the Roger, the, the major Rogers wrote the rules for, for Rangers that the army Rangers still use today. The airborne Rangers who still use the Rogers rules for ranging. And the first rule for Rangers is every Ranger is bound by the articles and precepts of war, right? His first standing order. Don't forget nothing. And I put that in the book and the editors kept sending it back from 10. You sure it's not don't forget anything? I'm like, no, it's don't forget <laughs> nothing. That's what Roger said. So the first standing order is you got to, you, the first rule is you, the, the, you're bound by the rules and articles of war. That's the thing that the enemy doesn't want us to know. He wants us, to, he wants us to play baseball and he tells us what the rules are. Well, there's, you, you need, you know, it's not three strikes. It's one strike and you're out. You don't get four balls. You need six balls to walk. You know, he, he, he's constantly moving the goalpost. And so part of the part of what we're developing is trying to explain the rules of warfare. So the first rule of warfare, the demon's going to yield or not yield, not based upon your intelligence, your good looks, uh, um, your the argumentation. He's going to yield or not yield based on three basic questions. Number one, does this person have the requisite authority over the person, place, or the object? He will yield according to that. And oftentimes the the the, the spade work of of the exorcism ministry and deliverance ministry. At the, at the practical level, at the at the at the diocesan level, is forcing the rules upon the enemy because because as Father Riviger defines the demon as a lawyer from hell. Mm-hmm. So the first rule is: Does this person have the right authority? You can get movement, you can shake things up, but to get the demon to yield, you need you need requisite authority. Number two is you can have the authority, but if that authority is compromised through immoral behavior, the you know then that authority then then effectiveness is mitigated so this is wet this is wet ammunition you know wet powder in your ammunition so what wetens what wets up what wetens the, the powder in our ammunition that is a lack of holiness so what is the state of grace and the merit of the petitioner so if you don't if you're not in a state of grace and you're praying prayers of spiritual warfare you're going to be retaliated against and you better square that away and then finally number three specifically what is they what are they asking specificity is critical in combat. You know, I can tell you, I, I had tow missiles and rockets, and I could, I could scare the crap out of the enemy and blow up everything around him, but I will affect no change until I hit my target with specificity. And so, so learning to pray specifically, uh, what prayers to pray at what time, without falling into superstition, without falling into this is a trick play, but being specific in prayer and identifying that vice or identifying this area that I need to work on is very, very critical. 
So I want to ask you for a practical scenario. Say that there is a mom and she's going into her daughter's, her teenage daughter's room and under the bed she finds tarot cards and realizes her daughter's into witchcraft. You just laid out a great formula to begin, but how would that, what would you advise? I, I know that the, first of all, on a side note, that levels of witchcraft are at unprecedented numbers. On Instagram, there are over sure. one million altars you know and this is where the kids are so it's scary because of how it seems pervasive it is but in a micro level in our homes and our souls what's the first action step you'd recommend there yeah you, t- you take them you take them out and you burn them you get rid of them mm-hmm. and you got to clean your home up you got to of course there's got to be catechesis you got to confront the child and say look this is this is pagan. This is a Catholic home. You're not allowed to bring this into my home. There needs to be a break in behavior. You need to go to confession. So all those hard decisions and those hard confrontations need to take place. But also you got to lay the groundwork through prayer um, and, and getting order back in the home. And the father needs to step in and be the lead on this, not the mother. Okay. And I want to break down to some of the basic terminology. You have threefold scale of oppression, obsession, and possession when it comes to demonic activity. Can you clarify each? I have harassment as kind of the level where there's a depression, there's something going on, but you're still functional and obsession where there's maybe psychotic experiences happening and then possession, which as you pointed out is, is very rare. And just that mix between trauma, psychology and the spirit um is that kind of the overview of those three yeah the analogy that i use the imagery that i use is what what uh infantry soldiers called the wire and so the wire was uh, a stringing together of claymore mines around the perimeter that protected your perimeter with 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 uh, um, explosive bomb, you know, explosive uh, devices called Claymore mines. And they were strung together with wire. So the outside of the wire is the enemy, inside of the wire are the good guys. The enemy is constantly kind of trying to penetrate into the wire. In the Viet Cong, they had a group called the Sappers. And the Sappers were demolition experts and special operations guys that would learn how to crawl underneath the wire, around the wire. They would would do what they do to penetrate the, your, your defensive perimeter. So if you look at the scale, the, this is the classical scale of diabolic, extraordinary diabolic activity. The ordinary diabolic activity is temptation. This is something that you have to, this is just part of the human condition. It's part of living in, this, in, in a post-fall uh, original sin uh, human experience. Temptation is going to be there. Um, that's part of our battle. It's part of our struggle. And then we're talking about the three levels of diabolic activity, of extraordinary diabolic activity. The ordinary, I mean, see, the, the, the first level is oppression. Oppression is the, the demon is starting to move a little more inside the wire, so to speak. He's, he's, he's now inside the perimeter, and he's, and he's affecting, causing problems. And, and a lot of the times, it's like, you said, like you, you said, it's an experience of a heaviness or depression. There's something going on. You can't quite put your finger on it. The things that get oppressed are usually finances, relationships, um, uh, sometimes it affects the interiority, kind of a, kind of a malaise, a, a, a kind of an overall general numbness, depression. Now, all that could be explained psychologically and temporally. There could be very good explanations why you have financial problems because you spend too much money. So not everything is diabolic, but as a general persistent, um, you see this kind of persistent behavior. That's oppression. In obsession, you start to see a deepening of the, the activity in, into the interiority 
uh, of the person, a, a spiritual obsession. Um, and in that, the demon begins to start moving in. He begins to start, um, um, he, he begins to start asserting more control. And this is, as you'll see, more um, a marked neurotic, abnormal mental, system, uh, mental symptoms um, as the demon begins to try to take mastery over the person. Um, and, and, and there starts to be a real uh, uh, pounding psychologically, intellectually, emotionally. And, and this gives us some indications of what the demon is doing. Now, again, you can have, you can have, a, you can have uh, you know, auditory hallucinations and auditory locutions um, can be psycho- completely psychological. You can hear voices just because you hear voices because you have a psychological problem. But we're talking about we're talking about this spiritual obsession, and you'll notice there that the, the trigger is going to be something sacred. Um, it'll be it'll be the trigger what causes the reaction will be something sacred, and so and then a possession is very rare, and there and and, and each of these are in um, uh, possession the, the, the demon is fully taken over the interiority as well as physically as a person. Again, extremely rare. If you understand, what really lit this up. For me intellectually and make me understand it when i sat through the first training lecture with kyle clement who was father Ripperger's right-hand man for the last 15 years and he's explaining each of these three levels of extraordinary diabolic activity have three interior three layers of movement right when you're moving closer and closer towards uh, um uh, a, a complete interior life that has been taken over by the enemy to, from the exterior to the interior i started watching this and in my theological training i started seeing a complete diabolic inversion of the three great ways in the Catholic tradition. You have the, the, the purgative, the illuminative, and the transformative. In each of those three ways, there's levels of prayer, if you follow the Carmelite um, layers of prayers, leading up to complete, total union with God, and betrothal union with God, according to Teresa of Avila, starting with low levels of prayer, vocal prayer, ending in uh, a complete prayer of union, a nuptial union with God, Nine layers, three separate sections. The demon does the exact thing, but in the inversion. He's driving us to a union with him, a diabolic, distorted union. And so we have to catch this, hopefully catch this early, and start getting pushback to reclaim the rights. By right, the demon is constantly going to claim to, to be there. He has a right to this person. By right, if you're baptized, you belong to Jesus Christ. And, and the demon has no right to you but he will take every permission he can possibly get. So he'll take whatever permission that you give him, he's going to start working and little by little working on the interiority. And, and by the end, the psychological, there's a symbiotic psychological union or a psychological compatibility with the demon in, in, in the heavier cases. And we know this to be true in the natural realm. You know, a cop shows up at a house on a domestic violence call, right? By the time the cop gets there, half the time, the woman who is being abused, she stops and says, no, 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 He's, I love him, I love him, don't take him away, don't take him away. And what does, the demon, what does the demon do? As soon as the cop leaves, he goes right back to the behavior. He might love bomb her for a while, try to woo her back, but he goes right back to the abusive behavior. And true liberation from this abuser is not going to take place until the woman who is being abused says, enough. I want no more of this relationship. And so there has to be this psychological separation. So when you get to the cases of especially obsession and then into possession, the person has finally said, I want out of this relationship. And that's when the demon comes in and says, no, I'm not leaving until I'm forced out by the church. 
Oh, there's a lot there. I mean, in every aspect of what you were saying, there was another question that was coming to mind because you referenced the the sacraments. And I want to get to that after the break, because I think that's a huge part, the incalculable grace that the sacraments hold. And you talk about that, the teaching of the church that the sacraments confer the grace they signify. So we'll explore that. I also want to get to Leo. He's on the phone with a question for you as well. So with that, the phone lines are open. Do you have a question? Dan Schneider is with me. He's my guest as we discuss the Liber Cristo Method, a field manual for spiritual combat, and it is a fantastic guide. We fight an ancient enemy, and the ancient weapons are the best, are a theme that are that is woven through. And just as David used five stones to defeat Goliath, the manual has five smooth stones for your ammo pouch, and that is renunciation of evil influences, repentance, metanoia, forgiveness, examination of conscience, confession, learning, power, and authority, and prayer, weapons, and tactics. It's a lot, and I'm so glad that Dan is with us for the hour. A lot to still pack in, so we will take a break. one 9149 is the number to call if you have a question. My name is Brooke Taylor. In for Kale, you're listening to The Kale Clark Show here on Relevant Radio and the app. We'll be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. While the secret is out, the news is official. One year from now, July 17th through the 24th, 2024, there is going to be a life-changing Eucharistic Congress in the heart of the Midwest. We would love for you to be there. Come be a part of it. It's the National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis next summer. You can meet your favorite show hosts. Join us for the Family Rosary Across America every night on the main stage. Most importantly, join together with 80 thousand other Catholics in adoring Christ enthroned in the Blessed Sacrament. Next summer in Indianapolis, get the latest information about the Congress by signing up at relevantradio.com slash indie to stay in the loop. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale here on the Kale Clark Show. It's been a powerful hour discussing engaging in winning the spiritual battles of this present day. We fight an ancient enemy. Ancient weapons are the best. That's the theme repeated through the book, the Liber Christo Method, a field manual for spiritual combat. And the author is Dan Schneider, husband, father, former amateur boxer, U.S. Army helicopter pilot, Gulf War veteran. Thank you again for your service, Dan. And also working on many, for many years on the Catholic Apostolate of Deliverance and Exorcism, which is the theme of this spiritual combat, this field manual. Our phone lines are open. If you have a question for Dr. Schneider, one 914 is the number to call. Leo has been patiently waiting from Royal uh, Front Royal, Virginia. Welcome to the show, Leo. Yes, thank you. Um, I have a lady friend and her nephew is uh, very disturbed in terms of his life. He's 16-year-old and... and troubled he is destructive in the home he tries to be violent to his parents and they're trying to figure out what to do he has a third grade level of reading and i think he has some concentration efforts that are failing in his life and somewhat like my own i want to commit to uh finishing things and sometimes i can't get them done can't be focused so is there any guidance? Uh, the police are concerned about him and counseling. 
for my friend, uh, his her uh, nephew. How about his father? Yeah, the key, the, the first thing I would start with is start with his father. His, it, it, his father needs to start engaging. He's a, the, head, the man is the head of household. He needs to be the first contact with the enemy in the household. But also don't underestimate the, the psychology. I mean, you know, I think good, a good Catholic counselor is critical as well to understand destructive behavior, to understand uh, uh, any, any acts, areas of trauma in his life, any areas of disorder. Um, so I would say you got to approach this from multi levels. The human person is extremely complex, and and uh, it's a, a deep mystery being made in the image and likeness of God, being hylomorphic, both spiritual and carnal. And so working on all these things is going to be very critical. But starting with the father, and we see this very often, is that there's a disorder in that in the home. The father needs to be the one to engage. And sometimes God will allow this this particular you know this particular child to suffer because the father and the mother particularly the father is not engaging. So um, working with the father would be the first place to start and also getting the son to work on the, the psychological and then getting, encouraging him back to get back into the state of grace. State of grace is big. Thank you so much, Leo. And I, so with that point, I want to ask about the sacraments because you say that while many people contact a priest or they want to go the route of an exorcism, what they really need is confession. Yeah. Yeah, you can, you know, Father Gabriel Amorth, I just finished the editing on a, a new book by, on 10 books, um, on the life of Father Amorth, and he famously once said, one, uh, one good confession is worth a hundred exorcisms. So we tend, we tend to want the quick fix, but the, the ancient weapons are best, and confession is, confession, he says, confession, we take souls from the devil. In exorcism, we take bodies from the devil, because technically speaking, the only thing possessed is the body. Now, the person could surrender their interior self. They could surrender themselves completely to the devil interiorly, but they always have on this side of the earth the day profoundest privilege, the Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you. There's always that opportunity to reach out to God in his mercy. Nonetheless, in confession, the soul is taken away. So that's why conf- confession is extremely important. And um, people that work in the system confess every week, and, and in fact, I think every, most Catholics in today's world, because we're all in, in spiritual combat, the catechism tells us that from the beginning of time, man's existence is the one of dour combat, it says in the catechism. So if the best way to stay clean and pure for combat, to stay, to stay battle ready, is to stay in, a, stay in a state of grace and keep polishing that armor until it's good and it's shining in the battlefield. That's what you're looking for. I love this, too. I want to mention about confirmation. You say, in fact... The doctor of the church likens, you're talking about St. Bonaventure here, the oils used in confirmation as the oils used to rub a true wrestler before the bout was a custom in ancient combat sports. Even today, boxers use Vaseline to protect their faces from their opponent's blows. Confirmation is a sacramental equivalent of combat sports in that it strengthens us for battle. For this reason, in the old rite of confirmation, after the bishop anoints the forehead, he would lightly slap the confirmand. That is true. That My mom has told the story, the bishop's yeah. laughter, but she never forgot it as a gesture showing the need for courage henceforth in the spiritual life in both defending and spreading the faith. As the boxing referee tells the fighters before they engage, defend yourself at all times. Catholic parents frequently come to a local church seeking help for an afflicted child. The demon tries to separate the child from his parents and their authority over the demon, which renders the child acutely vulnerable to temptation. And you go on to talk about once separated 
from the parents through rebellion, the child now becomes more isolated and therefore, and this is, I think, why uh, divorce is so devastating too, it leaves the child vulnerable. And this is what we're seeing in the rise of, for instance, the transgender movement of all sorts of ideologies that are diabolical. And you talk about in the months leading up to confirmation, especially if there are familiar familial curses present. And so it's important, obviously, to be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now it's a time to open the gift. What a powerful way to articulate. And that's just confirmation, one little portion of a paragraph. So it must have been edifying for you too to put this together and be renewed by the beauty and the graces of our faith. It, it really is. Um, yeah, Father Ripperger was interviewed recently, and they asked about the devil and all these ex- things that are happening. He said, you know, the devil's quite boring. He's quite predictable. What's exciting about working in this, the ministry of deliverance and exorcism, again, we work with, with diocesan teams. We work with mandated exorcists. We're not out there laying hands on people. We, that's the priestly work. But seeing the beauty and the power of the sacraments, the beauty and the power of the mystical body, of the saints, um, of, of the, the Virgin Mary, to see St. Michael cycle into a case and just dry, start, start battling, to see the Virgin Mary uh, become palpably present uh, in, 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 in a session and watch the demon flee and watch his reaction. You know, just recently we were in a, a, a case and, and the priest was doing the litany of, of Loretto and he was praying for the presence of the Virgin Mary and the demon manifests and says, oh, her, every time you call her, she comes. She wraps her mantle around you. Wow. Wow. If you don't believe in the power of the Virgin Mary, right out of the mouth of, of the enemy, admitting the queen of battle is present every time you call her. And this is consistent. If you want to read the glories of Mary by, by St. Uh, Alphonsus Liguori, doctor of the church, says the exact same thing. He quotes St. Bridget of Sweden. When you invoke the holy name of Mary, it's like a lightning bolt strikes the ground and the enemy flees. Uh, and so these are some of the images that I put in to kind of restore this language of combat. This is the language of the church of spiritual combat. We live in a time where we, we really have, have been reduced to kind of a sugary Jesus, you know, and, and I can tell you right now we're engaged in, in hand-to-hand fixed combat and we need to get back to the rich tradition of the church. This is the thing too, is that, is that a lot of times you'll hear, but this is all about this guy stuff. So this is why I quote Teresa of Avila. She says that women, need to be barbada, meaning bearded, right? Like a, like looking at a soldier coming off campaign with a long, rugged beard, the Chris Kyle beard, you know? She said, I want you to be so manly in the pursuit of virtue, in the pursuit of virtue, that you scare the men, that they're terrified of you because of your pursuit of virtue. This is essential. To, this, this is it. This is military language used in spiritual combat by a doctor of the church. And you have articulated it beautiful. Uh, It will rouse the heart of all of us, all the faithful. The Liber Christo Method is the name of the book. Dan Schneider, thank you for your time. God bless you. And we invite you to pray together, the Rosary Cross America and Trending Next with Timory. My name is Brooke Taylor. Until next time, this is the Kale Clark Show. Blessed Mother, pray for us.